everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, unless it's a rejoinder or I changed my mind. In this case, it's a rejoinder. Mike Klein is back. Normally I would read somebody's bio, but he's been on the show about 50 million times. Just go back and listen to another episode with him and his bio's in there. We're talking about his new book that he put out called Agbog Blushy, and uh, it's really good. If you want to financially help out the show, you can do so in a couple of different ways. Patreon.com slash NoisemakerJoe is one of those ways. That way, you subscribe an amount of money to me every month, and it comes through just like the electricity bill, only I give you early podcast episodes, and you can pay what you want. You're not going to see higher bills every time. You can buy my book. It's called Tired. It's on Amazon. Or you could throw me a one-time donation at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. You can also just follow this podcast on whatever podcatcher you're using, rate it the appropriate amount of stars if there's a star-based ranking system on the podcatcher you're using, and, you know, tweet about it, Mastodon about it, and all that good stuff. All right, that's enough of me. Let's get into my conversation with Mike. I think it's important to talk about the the actual content of the book and and the album um but i also don't know what more i can say about your work like um and i think that's my limitation not yours i i think this time i picked up more on like the video gaminess of it like we've talked about like procedural generation and and like caves of cud and and stuff like that but um kind of even beyond that i think there's more in it but i want to talk about uh the method in which you put the book out which is to say you self-published it i suppose um i mean you put it out yourself i don't know why i said why i qualified publish um i think that's another of my limitations um but you put the book out yourself um and there's a, a record that came with it because i got the review copy did was that like part of the the buying of of the book for people who purchased it did they get the the vinyl record too or or did you oh was that like another tier good question the vinyl record portion was another tier mm-hmm. and the only reason for that is because it's not cheap making vinyl records these year that nowadays um so i only had 20 vinyl records i could sell i had 10 clear versions and 10 black versions so mm-hmm. it was a different tier so yeah there were um the tier thing is interesting there was the regular book and then there was the regular book with the original test print that i did where it was just the green book and whoever wanted both of those could order uh i guess a double stack deal is what i called it mm-hmm. and then there was the, the black the black vinyl and then there was the clear vinyl so four different tiers um and they all sold out yeah okay so how many copies of the book are out in the world Right now, if we can, if we consider and include the review copies and then copies I sent to friends, I would say there are 63 copies out right now. If you include my own, 64. Okay, cool. So you had talked, geez, it's got to be a couple months ago now that you were doing the, the spaces bit, uh, spaces marathon uh, chats with Alexandrine and, yeah. um, and, anybody else i popped in a couple times never spoke but listened a bit um and i think 
one of the one of the brief portions I listened to was you and and somebody else, maybe it was Troy, I can't remember, asking like why do we still use publishers? Um and like it's a good it's a good question. I talked about this a little bit with um with William Cody Watson um when I had him to talk about um Paradise Redux. Um and so like we don't need to rehash too much the you know the prestige is nice, the kind of built-in fan base, treating it like a record label sort of thing, the curatorial power of I know anytime John puts out a book, I'm gonna like the book. So I want Inside the Castle to continue because it's less shopping I need to do, right? It's just Right. Boom. Andrew puts out a book, Ben puts out a book, I like them, I buy them. And 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 it's hard to hard to go wrong with with that method. Um, but of course there's tons of pitfalls. The fact that like whether or not I have to whether or not I publish through a publisher, I'm still gonna be the marketer for the book for the most part. There's some there's some small presses that do a really good job. I feel like Clash does a lot of work trying to get their books into the hands of readers. Um and um there's a couple horror presses too. I feel like the strictly like genre horror presses um kind of like I feel like there's like an indie horror press industry that I'm only like barely um cognizant of um but at the end of the day you put this book out yourself I'm interested in hearing your rationale and like I don't know your experience because you're you've also put work out with a lot of different publishers too you're not just kind of like uh, a um oh what's the term they had for like um actors who had like a contract with like one movie studio back in the day i don't know but you're not like i a, know what you're talking about Brandon. <laughs> right you're not like a an mgm man right and that all your books come out through wherever so yeah new experience I'll what's the experience all those are great points which you brought up about the horror sphere because uh just want to hit on that quickly on twitter i guess there's two or three horror authors that i follow and then you know they retweet others and you're right there's this sort of every other writer within that sphere is promoting any other writer who comes up with new stuff but then in the same vein i feel like those presses are also doing a certain type of advertising that we're not doing um, and I thought about that for a little bit, because if you think about those types of books, they all have a specific type of cover. You know, it's always it looks kind of old school in a way. They, I, I guess they've tapped into this this niche of artists who they know can do that type of work. So whenever you see that type of book, you know what genre it is, whereas for us, covers can look like anything. Right. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the the fact that some books don't get as seen as others. But kind of like what you mentioned with all the different presses, when a certain press releases a book, you're most likely going to get it because you know that the curation of that is is gonna lean in towards what you like, and I think with the horror presses, they do the same thing. When a cover, when when a book comes out, the cover is usually just good enough for any of those readers, so they immediately buy those books. Um, but to go to go to your question, you know, why did I do this myself this time? What was the experience like? I I for for my own personal um, what I'm looking for in terms of what my I want my future books to look like. 
I feel like print on demand is very limiting. I always, I've always said that. I, I feel that I think print on demand is a fantastic thing. Ten years, it's changed the way things are done. Certainly, ten years ago, it wasn't like this. And thanks to print on demand, we are where we are now. But I have realized that there are things that I want to do that print on demand cannot do. And for example, uh, if I want to release one book that has five different covers, it can be done on print on demand, but it's more expensive because then you have to get five different barcodes. You got to figure out the logistics of how to do that. And then it's like, do you really want to have five different versions out there? Whereas if you do it yourself, you can literally just have one pile that has five different colors and do it yourself. And it's usually cheaper that way. But at the same time, you have to know how to print things. You have to, can you find a local printer? Can you buy your own printer and figure it out? Can you cut your own paper? Do you know how to source paper? Lots of other things to think about. And I, in, that, in that regard, I understand why a lot of people don't just run a press you know imagine doing that for a different writer every month or every other month whatever the frequency is so it was very time consuming but because it was my own thing i enjoyed doing that uh, i spent a long time looking for where to press vinyl how to print things what i wanted the book to look like the sizing is very specific because i uh, i told you earlier i think before we started recording that i wanted to be able to send out review copies for very cheap so these books weighed exactly the amount that they needed to weigh as well as size so that I could send them for 84 cents within the United States. And then I think a dollar 24, maybe actually a dollar 60, maybe for anywhere, anywhere outside of the United States. There's a little, actually, it's a little more expensive for certain places, but that's still cheaper than sending it other, you know, regularly. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but I also wanted to think about the packaging. And I asked myself the question, what could I do that a press could not do? And it's not necessarily a fault of the press. It's more that, you know, nobody has time to be doing that for, if you're having 10 books coming out a year uh, and you have a real life and you have a family and everything else that comes with that, you can't be spending 800 hours a month or however long, you know, packaging something special. So I think it's one of those things where right now with the way things are, the only way you could do what I did is by doing it yourself. Um, if there is another method, I'd love to hear it, but uh, I haven't found another way. So I was trying to challenge myself um, again, to see what can I do that a press couldn't do. So I wanted to print in a weird size, which is, is an A6 size, which I don't think I've seen very often. Um, that's more in the chap realm, but still, usually chaps are a little bit bigger. I also wanted to do a unique packaging situation. So the little bag that encases the book, I thought was a little neat thing that I wanted to do. I also wanted to do a sticker that comes on the little bag that sort of um, delineates the version that the person is getting so they're all numbered individually and it tells you exactly what number you have so i thought that was kind of cool and then with, with the vinyl release i wanted to have a little hype sticker that i could put on each of the releases so no one's gonna be able to see this stuff for you but like i have some that i made like this oh cool and they're different colors and yeah each one would go on the records and the reason i do that is because whenever i buy records i love the hype stickers i always cut them out and keep them and put them inside the sleeve of the record it's like a little memento or you know what have you so all of that put together was something that i didn't want to go too crazy because i was scared you know what if nobody wants any of this stuff i spent all this money now it's all just going to sit here forever and then i also wanted to try a different platform usually i've used bandcamp to sell things on my own in the past and it's worked fine but i tried big cartel this time because i've always heard that it's a good platform for books specifically whereas bandcamp is more for music and in the past, I had an audio release with the book, so that's why I used Bandcamp. And I guess this time I did as well. Um, but I tried Big Cartel, and it worked fantastically. So for anyone who's listening who wants to try Big Cartel, go ahead. They have a free program, but they also have a paid program. And it, it, it worked really well for tracking and keeping 
stock of everything for me. So pretty much in a nutshell, that's why I decided to do this myself this time, um, because there are things I wanted to do that presses can't do right now. And I decided to just take it on myself to do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that the the rationale is more object oriented than like I don't know. Nobody was brave enough to take on this project or whatever. But I mean you've had <laughs> you've had quite a few books published. It'd have to be quite radical, whatever it was that you did to um <laughs> to have nobody want to take a chance on it. Um <laughs> but I mean that wouldn't stop you from making the excuse anyway people will make excuses regardless of how sensical they are um right and you know just a quick point i mean there are mm -hmm. some great small presses i mean i so i'm looking at a list that i have here because i always forget everything i mean lately presses like cloak filthy loot um cryptid editions carry on bloom books uh you know run by jace uh i think it's jace Britton and his partner there's orbis tertius press i think it's how it's pronounced with ryan Madey. And there's also Mary Golden Dependent, and there's so many others, but I was just keeping track of presses that I think are doing things differently. Um, and in that regard, there's something unique about each of them. For example, Mary Golden Dependent, uh, when they released Charlene Elsby's book, it was only available for a certain amount of time. Mm. I think it was like 30 days or two months. And then after that, it was gone completely. Uh, I'd never seen anyone do that. I thought that was very interesting. And I could go through each of these presses that I mentioned and explain why each of them is unique, but I just thought that it's cool that there is this sort of Thing happening where these newer presses are trying to do something that's distinctive or unique to what they're doing and the reason i'm bringing that up is because i think that in the next five years we're going to be seeing more of that we're still going to have the same presses that we like right now like the ones you mentioned but we're also going to have others that are doing something unique and different and new yeah and they'll have to um yes <laughs> because I mean, the question, again, for like from the writer's standpoint is what can you do for me that I can't do for myself? But also for the, you know, for the reader, just having something, you know, because we're still kind of working on like, why don't I just have a Kindle? Why am I dedicating, in my case, two entire rooms of my house to <laughs> to filling it with books that are heavy and dusty um, and whatnot? I mean, I love it, but I know... I have a house. I have a house that's kind of too big. So, like, I have the room. But if you're living in an apartment and you're spending all your money on books, like, you're gonna you're gonna run out of room really quick. Um, yeah, yeah. The, a good example is that of that is uh, music streaming versus records. You know, people still buy records, but same issue. It's it's inconvenient. It takes you have to have a lot of equipment to even just play one one record. Um, it takes up a lot of space. Um, and same thing with books. Yeah, books take up space. You can just read it on a Kindle. Um, so yeah, I think we're at, a, we're at an interesting middle point right now with both of those um, types of media where there are people who are still interested in the physicality of it. Um, but yeah, you kind of sort of have to offer a digital version of whatever you release as well if you want to, I guess, to make it in quotes, whatever that means. Yeah. Um. So I guess we can get into the content again. It's, um, I don't know. You keep getting sparser. I say that every time. Um, I have a poem back in back um, for my first wedding anniversary. The first wedding anniversary traditionally is the paper anniversary, and so my mm -hmm. wife and I each ended up making each other books. And I like wrote her a little chat book of poetry. But 
one of the poems is about how we have been putting more emojis and exclamation points in our text messages to each other over time and at some point in the future it's just going to look like woodstock uh you know just (laughs) just dashes and we're going to have some sort of some sort of language where we can understand all these dashes and smiley faces at each other um which is what this made me think of but there's i mean it's not like you're approaching the poetic at this point um i think one of one of my favorite pages is page 24 where susie flicks some fleshettes in his direction so hard the wind snaps back and forth dimension hole opens up um and she says don't step in that uh which one is just funny um but says goes down the page vertically um and don't is spread out um and there's a lot of stuff like that but um i don't know i don't, do we remember for third world magics if we talked a lot about like the design of the book i feel like we always kind of talk about it because that's something you've always been um paid attention to but i feel like this is the most sort of like concrete poetry inspired sort of um uh work you've done yeah um when you say it's more sparse you're right um it was way longer when i had the first draft of this and as i usually do i just whittle it down to its bare essentials what i think is that needs to be left on there um but uh yeah in terms of poetry and the poetic i that's something i admire from afar because i don't necessarily understand it completely and I don't think anyone ever does. Some people may understand it to a greater degree than others, but I never—I don't think it's possible to ever 100% understand poetry. And that's part of the beauty of it, right? Um, I am always interested in the layout, how, how something looks on the page. That's more important to me in a way than what it's actually saying. Um, and I know that, that doesn't transfer to all formats of writing, but for mine specifically, it does. Because I think that if you were to take one of those weird pages, like, like what you mentioned, how says and and don't are written on the page if it was just regular one line it wouldn't have the same impact or effect that i'm looking for um the nice thing about this time is every single time i change the way a page looked i could literally print it off and see exactly what it would look like Mm. when it goes out and that was one of the benefits that i don't have with working through a press because you can print out drafts on whatever size of paper you have but it's not always going to look like what you think it's going to look like when it gets printed and I feel like there are always, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There are there are constraints you have to work with, and there are things you have to agree that you can't do with your work that you would like to do. In this t- in this book, I didn't have to do any of that. Every single thing I wanted to do, I was able to do. Um, and that sort of opened up a new avenue for me, because I think in one of my tweets, I said that after the book sold out, I was very, um, I felt very humbled. I didn't expect anyone to buy the book. Um, and then I said that, you know, seeing that I was able to do whatever I wanted in this book and everyone was receptive to it sort of opened my eyes and showed me that, you know, the book as object has a lot more places to go than where we are with it right now. Um, and uh, again, going back to the format, what you were talking about, the way it looks on the page, I know that everyone who 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 hangs out online with us and talks about books might be more into this than the people that I know in real life who bought this book. I, I know mm. of two people, actually three, who don't read stuff I've ever written, and they also don't read this type of stuff, but they, they wanted to buy it because they, they literally saw a picture of the packaging on Instagram and said, well, that looks really cool. 
and they ordered it just for that reason. And it just made me realize that there is there is some something going on there with how a book looks. Because um, your cover can be the most amazing cover, but if there's not a weird thing going on with it that changes it from every other book, people might not buy it. So I literally think that people who never would have bought my book bought it this time just because of that packaging, right? Um, and I had conversations with them as the book was on its way to them, and I said, you're going to hate it. And they said, oh, don't say that. You don't know that. And I said, I, I think I do. Um, and it's mostly because it's it's not – They, I think they expect – a classic a classic narrative that goes you know in one direction and it has a nice happy ending or just an ending period and it's none of that um so with you specifically since you've read all most or all of my stuff i think you have an idea of what to expect and as you've mentioned every single time you're able to follow this trajectory of whether it's you know i'm adding more words or or, or taking more words away and I, I unfortunately i think that for someone like you who has that that's the best way to experience the work i say unfortunately because not everyone can do that. You know, not, not everyone has the time to go back in my back catalog. But um, I think there is something for, to appreciate there from my perspective, because you're able to see it in a way where it's almost like, you, you know, you don't you don't need a tutorial book or anything. You know exactly what you're getting into, even though this is different. Um, and I'm finding out that a lot of other people are actually in the same boat as you are, which is neat to me. Um, and that's kind of what keeps me going, you know, with all these little projects. I was a little rambly. I apologize. No, it's it's your show, man. I'm just hosting it. Um, <laughs> that sort of reminds me of uh, his his um, display name on Twitter is always like changing. Jesse, I forget his last name. Um, oh, but the he, reviewer of books. Yeah, Jesse Hilson. Could that be it? I'm sorry, Jesse. I, I know so. you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um but i might he, be pronouncing his name wrong but i think that's yeah that's who you're talking about yeah um platelet 60 on on twitter um follow yes. his Substack. um but he wrote a review of third world magics and somebody had commented on it and was like i like to check in on mike's work every now and again so that i don't have to ever read it again and i loved that because like um like it's fine to not like somebody's writing and and your writing is is singular um in my experience there could be i i hate it when people say there's nothing like house of leaves because that's wrong so i don't want to say that nobody writes like like mike klein um but certainly in my experience which i think is maybe a little bit more esoteric than your average bears um it's quite singular so like you know, you can like it or you cannot like it and whatever. You should like it. I think it's morally good to like it. But um, like it's <laughs> I, I love the idea that this person who went to college with you because um, they ended up having a conversation with Jesse in the comments um, that I that I okay. stalked on. And like somebody who went to college with you read your writing in college and, and for whatever reason decided it wasn't for them. But it sticks in their mind enough that however long it's been since you got out of college they're still checking up on you um and on your writing just to kind of see what's happening with it um which i think is um i think from an art perspective like capital letter a art um that's uh i think that's what like makes art good right like i think the worst thing something can do is be unnoteworthy uh on accident i suppose you could make i don't know a gray canvas or something on purpose and have it 
have the purpose of it be that it's disposable or something. And I know a lot of vaporwave music is treated like that, but in general, the worst thing can be your art can be is disposable, um, which I think is is why AI art is not really a threat to art as a as a as a as a ghost, you know, as a spirit in a in a sternerian sense. Um, so I loved that. I, I agree because like I feel like my reaction and that person's reaction are are only. Um, deviated in our enjoyment of the work like it still is fascinating um and whether or not your reaction is positive or negative it's it's up to whatever your brain chemistry is um but um i think it was when we were talking about burning oceans that i was talking about how there's a, a an emotion i feel when i read your work that i cannot quite describe um, and I got closer this time. I, I was about, I don't know, a third of the way. And I was like, why do I feel sad? I feel sad reading this book. And it's not overtly sad. Um, but there's, since Burnin' Oceans, especially, like if I compare it to like Canley Stubrick um, or Lonely Men Club, like there's, like you've clearly gotten more ecological in focus. Uh, one of the books since then has a Nick Land quote, which his outlook on the world is, is quite negative, I think. Um, and um, I mean, even the title, I Googled it while I was waiting for you to join the call. I did not know it was a real place and I did not know it was so horrifying. So um, <laughs> very few people do. I mean, it looks like a made up word. Um yeah, 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 I can jump in on that. I can just comment on that really quickly. Go for yeah, it. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's in Ghana, West Africa. It no longer exists, actually. I mean, the location is still there, but it was an e-waste dump site. So it's basically a landfill, but there's no filling of land. Everything just sits on top of the land. And the reason for that is, is because a lot of people would actually, that was their job. They would They would sift through all these old computer parts and car parts and basically chipboards and motherboards, and then they would find what they can salvage, mostly for metal or whatever precious um metal you can salvage from that and they would sell that and then what happened is i think it was in was it three four years ago maybe um the government decided they were going to bulldoze that and and uh, just raise it and that's what they did so the issue there was why did the government wait that long because as you can imagine i mean anytime there was a fire and there were always fires happening in there those fumes are not good to breathe in and a lot of people in slums lived on the perimeter of that place so a lot of bad things were happening but the government eventually shut it down so there was a double argument of why did it take that long but also all these people who have made that their job now will be jobless um so if you look i think if you look it up now there's actually like an aerial photo of before and after and it's like you said horrifying the way it was and the fact that that place existed i mean basically anytime you see those landfills in in cyberpunk movies or or cartoons that's what that place looked like and it, it's just crazy that something like that exists or existed now um, and i'm sure there are there are other places where that that exists that we're not aware of but that was one of the most famous e-waste sites and you know i i stumbled upon that i think eight years ago there was a documentary that came out about it and i'd seen that name i was like what the hell is this and i watched it and i was fascinated by this whole situation that was developing there and i just kept that in the back of my mind forever and you know that's why i decided to title that book this and you know the question could also be like why did i title the book this um there are multiple answers to that i you know i don't necessarily 
want to go into all of them because I don't want to ruin the experience for anyone. Um, but uh, it does tie into what happens what, or what is happening inside of the book. I don't know if you got that, but um, again, it's one of those metatextual things where I think I've told you this before. If you don't know what the title is and don't realize it's a real thing, you can still quote, enjoy the book. But if you Google the title and you look up all these things in the pictures and then you go back and reread what I wrote, there's something else happening that you may get from it that you wouldn't have otherwise. And the thing I always try to do is I, I try to create both of those things where you can have either experience or both and they're both valid. So that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up and that's kind of what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was looking through more pictures and it just, uh, <laughs> You're fine. it hurts my soul, man. Like I know all that shit has to go somewhere. Um, right. It's wild how it always ends up in Africa or, uh, there's a see also page on Wikipedia and it's like, see this town in China <laughs> and it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, it's not yeah, like we. It's it's not like we stopped making e waste after we bulldozed this onion market town in Ghana. Um, right. Nope. It just went somewhere else, like you said. Um, which honestly, you want to make a space company? You just make rockets that are cheap to produce, um, that don't produce a lot of waste getting fired into the atmosphere, and you just send that shit into the sun. You you figure out a way <laughs> to scoop it all up, send it into the sun, and make it a nonprofit or something so rich people can hide their tax money in it. And uh, yeah. that would be nice. Somebody should do that. Somebody should, should make I, that I, happen. I, I think that's where we're headed. You might actually see that very soon, sooner rather than later. It's going to be in our lifetime, I, I think so. I'm curious to know what adverse effects that will have. I mean, the sun is quite large, so it's hard to say like what kind of drop in the bucket that will be and then space winds gravity waves and whatever so like i don't know we're gonna find out like a trillion years later we were making right. some sort of cancer beam into like the only intelligent life in the universe uh right <laughs> and well i mean this sounds horrible but i mean space itself is big too so it's like you know don't even aim at the sun just chuck it out there but i mean that's that's just that's just a horrible thing because like you said we don't know how this affects anything until way later and by that time it's probably too late um we just need to slow down and you know and in, in, in a way like you said this was also more climate concerned or i guess i've been focusing more on that lately and it's i'm not one of those people where i go on instagram or twitter and i have I, a retweet about how the you know the environment is dying or how climate has changed the world it's stuff we all all of us already are aware of whether we think it's real or not we know that there's something happening and I just, I guess that that has just sort of trickled down into my soul and it just manifests itself, um, throughout my writing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you picked up on that and that's very clearly what's happening here more so than my other works. It, it ha it's, it did start to manifest itself in like burning oceans. You're correct. Um, but here it's more apparent than it was. It's this one hits you more in the face than the other stuff with that sort of theme. Yeah. Which I think, uh, is interesting as we've talked before about how all your work is connected in the same like universe thing this very like coheed and cambria uh concept uh project yes that like um you know you can you can tear into it more i think i think this book particularly is a good primer for people who are into this type of thing um, who are otherwise intimidated to like 
go back into like an 800 word or 800 page text that like rewards rereading like mm-hmm. 50ish pages there's a lot in it even though there's not a lot in it and it connects to other works that are all for the most part quite short um even if it's like thematically i'm not accusing you of having some sort of conspiracy board in your spare bedroom where you're connecting books and you have plans for the next 10 books that are gonna uh you know route back to arafat mountain somehow and if you do don't tell me i want i want someone to find that after you die and have the whole thing get blown open Um, okay i won't say anything um but i think this book just due to its size and its unpretentiousness in in its use of language as a good starting point for the people who like actually want to like kind of tear into a work um but with with the environmental thing because one i don't want you to 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 comment on what i just said that's a that's a action statement for the for the listener um i've been having conversations with with friends for the better part of a year now about uh eco poetics as a genre and and um making art at the end of the world which if you look at a recent tweet of mine i'm i'm not necessarily convinced we're at the end of the world i think we're just afraid of the judgment of our of our children um but in within that sort of scope that you seem to be tuned into in a way that that me and my people are. Um, where do you think like art fits like within the right now? Because um, we've even talked about um, how like in 2016, one of the publishers you work with was like, "I'm not pu- putting out books this year." <laughs> um, so like, like, yeah, yeah. why even? like that's the question that's that's the the question if if you're an artist in 2022 why even that's that's a very loaded question yep i i think i mean fundamentally it just falls down to the fact that people enjoy art and they need art in their life because i think we i don't know how many conversations ago we kind of talked about this how if you take art away i mean what's left Honestly, and I mean, that's that's the extent of that statement. So I think, and if I'm understanding your question correctly, are you saying that if you're right, so if you're doing, for example, like you said, um, eco-poetics, and you're putting art out there, and it's like a physical product, you're, you're ultimately adding to the waste that you're talking about. Is that what you're sort of intimating at? Or am I thinking too much? Am I looking too no, much? No, that's definitely part of it. That's definitely part of it. Okay. Because I mean, like, even, even if you say, okay... <sighs> to heck with it no more books no more cutting down trees it's only going to be e-reader stuff i mean it's still you're still burning coal to power you right, right, right. to charge your e-reader um but beyond that like why are we spending so much time as artists focusing on a book that 60 people have um and mm. not oh. I yeah, don't, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Whatever else. No, no, no. That's okay. That that helps. That actually steers me in the in a direction I wanted to go into. That confirms what I was thinking. Yeah. No. Um. That's a that's a good point. I I believe that there is way too much happening right now. Um. There's no way we can keep up with everything. Like for example, I'll use you as an example. If your goal was to get as many writers as possible on your podcast, 
um, to just, you know, get a bunch of uh, as much variety as, as you could. That means you'd be interviewing at least eight to 10 people a week based on new releases. And there's no way you can do that. So you literally have to put up a filter where you say, hey, I may love the work from these 20 other writers, but A, I've never heard of them. B, they've never been recommended to me by other writers because that's something you do. You like to ask people who've been on the show who else they should bring on, which I think is a fantastic concept. But in a way, you have to limit whatever you're doing. And to answer your question, why, why do art, um, period, and why only talk about things that only a small pe- number of people know about, it goes, with, it goes to that notion of, you know, whenever someone talks about whether they want, I don't know, a million fans or 10 fans that are consistent, I think that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about the 300 people that we all know on Twitter, the same people, where when something new comes out, you know that these 20 people are going to buy that thing from that one person, regardless whether they like it or not, because it's to support each other. And then those people who got that money for that thing will buy the same thing that person paid for. So it's all a circle, and it's mostly to keep this thing alive, to show that you're appreciating each other and supporting Um but it's also a fine line between, you know, whenever a journal comes out, a physical journal, the question I always ask is, who's reading this journal? Is it only the 20 people who are published in that journal or are other people reading it? And I know the answer is, yes, everyone who's in it is going to read it, obviously. The person who put it out is also going to be reading it, obviously. Their friends are going to read it, obviously. But you start out with maybe three people who've never heard of it who read it because they saw it on Instagram or one of the writers talks about it. And then if that thing continues to exist with time those new people talk to their people and then that starts expanding and then two or three years later you have this thing where it's the 30 people who originally were into that thing and then you have these 60 other people who never had heard of it who only found out about it because that project persisted so you know tying this back to my work i initially started writing with the only goal in mind of i want to do something and i want to see it the way i want to do it it wasn't to get published in a famous press it wasn't to make money it wasn't to have it be made into a movie and it wasn't to have a famous author blurb it none of that stuff which i feel a lot of that is happening lately where where people are that's like one of their ambitions even if it's not said out loud and you know that's fine i have no problem with that i'm just i'm just saying it's very hard to attain obtain and i don't think that should be a goal for a new writer or any writer um so the fact that those were my goals, which I think are very simple goals, has allowed me to continue what I'm doing. And I want to say that I don't care what people think, but that's a harsh statement. I don't mean for that to sound as harsh, but I always have something I want to do. And what makes me happy is being able to get as close to that vision as possible. And every single time, it was always the, the earlier work, there was always compromises I had to make. But then as I started getting more into how it how the process of of releasing something with a press and that's part of the reason what you mentioned earlier that's why i would work with different presses i wanted to see how different people work behind the scenes and with every press i got to see a different way of working and i've taken what i consider the best of each of those things and all of these presses basically have informed how i worked on this new book that just came out on my own i i got i mean i have to thank all of them for that but um you know going back to your question why do all that why do art in this moment in time for all those reasons I just brought up, because it's a beautiful thing that we can kind of do what we want to do right now. And there are resources out there and different avenues to do the same thing. And if you put in a little bit of work on your end, there are a lot of things you can do. Um, and also the thing I, I failed to mention that I should mention is interact with people, literally. Just start talking to people online. Don't start fights or beef or whatever it's called, you know, Twitter fights. I don't know what the word is, but just just have a conversation. 
um, whether it's out on the main pages or in the DMs, and I because I think that's really important, and that's what's missing. Um, you know, people can click like on topics or whatever posts a lot, but you don't see a lot of engagement, and I think that needs to happen more because that's what leads to what we're talking about right now. The sense of community without actually having these people be there with you physically, but you still consider them a part of your life.